Hello, folks. Welcome to another episode of Catch Up, the podcast about contemporary hip-hop that examines where hip-hop has been, where it's going, and where it is. I'm Jordan Suwami. And I'm James Rathbone. And wow, what a big week for us. Uh, we were featured in the iTunes podcast store and had a raft of new listeners. We, for two days, were the number one most listened to music podcast in Canada. Very cool. And it's just really exciting to have uh, a lot of new listeners. So welcome, guys. Uh, you can go go back into our archives and listen to some some of our highlight episodes if you'd like. And if you and it really means a lot to have you know us as an independent podcast be in the top ten. Yeah, we're the little guy. We're looking up at you know the the Bill Simmons of the world, the uh, Malcolm Gladwells, the Joe Rogans, mm-hmm. and other really admirable figures like that. <laughs> <laughs> so if you guys are listening to the podcast and you like what you hear, please uh, rate, review, and subscribe. And tell a friend who you think might enjoy it because it actually means a lot to us and it helps us get the word out. Mm-hmm. All right. So James, what are we going to talk about today? So um, if, as you may or may not know, uh, this past week was the 10-year anniversary of Drake dropping So Far Gone, which uh, was his breakout mixtape kind of one of the great successful mixtapes of all time and you know it's re-release got us thinking about the history of mixtapes how mixtapes have changed over time and how drake seemingly was preserving this really important work by re-releasing and clearing the samples and getting it on streaming platforms so it made us think well what other works should have been received you know received a similar kind of treatment yeah and in the age of most music listeners listening via streaming, we're kind of reaching a dangerous point. Uh, something our producer Kyle pointed out that it's almost as if if something is not on a streaming platform, it's almost as if it didn't exist. You know, because it's it's just it be- essentially becomes inaccessible in the way that people consume music. All this stuff is obviously on YouTube, but it's like people don't stream music on YouTube while they're on the subway. You can't. I mean, I, I was trying to do it earlier, and you close the youtube app the music stops that's so weird that they haven't figured out i i even downloaded their dumb youtube music app anyway if anyone from google is listening uh james apologizes yeah <laughs> don't, don't, don't dox dig me in, don't dig into his don't search do, history don't dox me <laughs> <laughs> you can see my incognito mode but no one else can <laughs> i trust you um, um so yeah no i mean like it like I, it is i remember when um Mega Upload got destroyed by Joe Biden in 2011. Or Joe Biden, sorry. Joe. <laughs> <laughs> Joe by Joe Biden. S- <laughs> Sanders. Joe Biden. <laughs> Sanders Biden 2020. The two angry old man tour. Anyway. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's funny but, that Bernie Sanders like outwardly looks like Joe Biden is inwardly. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh okay so yeah 2011 there was this if you weren't aware there was this um sort of file sharing website called mega upload Uh, that's its own like saga and you should look into it because it's like a truly bizarre bit of internet history but it was like this time where it was it was the de facto like file upload website before dropbox and when it got deleted there must have been like so much good music that was just essentially disappeared from like history uh because that was where it was backed up like that was the end of sort of the the mp3 blog era 
Um, so now it's like what we have is YouTube. And I feel like that's kind of, it's kind of tenuous. Mm. So these are the mixtapes that we think you should seek out that aren't necessarily on streaming sites. That's right. Let's that's just get into let's it. Let's just get into it. Yeah. yeah. All right, so James, what is a mixtape? Well, Jordan, it's a very good question, and one that we hope to answer in today's episode. <laughs> <laughs> mixtapes uh, have have actually a kind of complicated history within hip-hop. Uh, you know, they started out, as sort of the name implies, as tapes that would be traded uh, on kind of like a hand-to-hand level in New York City in like the late 80s. Um, you know, if you've ever heard the Biggie song Juicy, he shouts out some of the kind of big DJs of the time, like DJ Red Alert, who were putting out the kind of early mixtapes. At the time, it was sort of like promo material. Uh, but and, and again, kind of kind of small potatoes relative to, you know, what mixtapes would eventually become. In the 90s, you have uh, DJs like Duop who put out some really incredible mixtapes that would have been the first time like uh, songs like Shook Ones by Mob Deep came out or uh, kind of like some of those Wu-Tang singles. Uh, importantly, Who Shot Ya by Biggie was, uh, I think, on the doo-wop tape. Uh, and then in the late 90s, you have um, DJ Clue, who was like, kind of started to more formalize uh mixtapes a little bit more and they the became professional yeah a little bit more professional uh it's, their distribution was still like very much unofficial at that time like there were the things that you would get at like a gas station or something like that they'd be sold at like hand to hand yeah i mean i i remember my older brother getting tons of mixtapes that were new york based a lot of dj clue stuff DJ Who Kid, who mm-hmm. was the official G Unit DJ for a stretch, um, and it would have just maybe fifteen songs, all from different artists that were just different kind of songs that were bubbling in the streets, basically, yeah. or or could have the the opportunity to do that if they broke up from these mixtapes. Exactly. At some point, uh, part of the sort of I guess maybe most popular feature of mixtapes was rapping on other uh, rappers rapping on other people's beats. So um, some sort of classics of that. Uh, era were uh, like Jules Santana's Back Like Cook Crack 2 where he raps over like Push It by Salt and Pepper and Eminem My Name Is and like it was a way for rappers to kind of show their creativity on beats that they wouldn't wouldn't have had really access to uh, but like weren't just like freestyles they wanted to put out on the, on a radio show of promo or something like that it, and the more they did that the more mixtapes started to become cohesive projects in and of themselves I mean uh Artists like 50 Cent and, and like the Diplomats really became famous through mixtapes. Um, like uh, 50 Cent is the Future was f- essentially 50 Cent's return after he got dropped by Sony, got shot and all of that. And he, he had this huge hype on the streets. Same with G-Unit with DJ K-Slay. And then uh, in the mid-2000s, probably the most important mixtape uh, saga like series of all time was started the Gangsta Grills. Gangsta Grills. Uh, it's DJ Drama's yeah. mixtape series, and I remember even just in the two thousands, it was like he would he Drama was would host these mixtapes, so he would be speaking in the interstitials in between songs, and honestly, like he he was doing kind of like street motivational speaking mm-hmm. essentially, and a lot of this stuff, if you go back and listen to it, it really like. 
sets up these songs to be these like titanic moments. It just mm-hmm. it's so cinematic, and he's really good at it. Yeah, he was. I mean, the Gangster Grills. Like, I don't we aren't. I don't think any of the mixtapes that we're t- talking with are, about are Gangster Grills. I don't think. No, they're not. None of them are. Gang, there are so many great Gangster Grills. We'll we'll have a Gangster Grills episode at some. That's point. a great idea. We're we gonna will, we're we gonna do that, that at some point because yeah. there's so many great Gangster Grills uh, albums, and I think like. The more in preparing for the show, I realized how important mixtapes really were for my development as a, like a hip hop listener, and how many incredible ones there are that have kind of fallen out of my memory. Totally, some, you know. Yes, yeah, so should we get into it? Yeah, let's get to our first one, which uh, kind of actually ended the mixtape era that I'm talking about mm-hmm. because it was the best one that ever existed. Yeah. I know you see the drop, cause getting money is what we own. Ride and drop the top in the winter with the heat on. Bad yellow bitch, keep my passenger seat warm. Leg hanging out the window, you ain't got these on. Bitch, holla, it is Louise. They cannot see me, they are like Stevie. I am bearing a ton like Leafy. I circle your house like BB. Call it in the heebie, GBs. Never give freebies. Yeah. But we are talking about Little Wayne's The Drought 3. Yes. Basically, if you haven't listened to our Little Wayne episode, please go back and listen to. Please go back and listen to it. You'll, if you don't know about the glory that was Little Wayne in his prime, I mean, he was just at the time. I, in my opinion, it was. It's to this day, it's still the most exciting a rapper has ever been for this, his stretch for, for a length of time. Yeah, that's episode sixteen. Um, it's one of our best received episodes. I yeah. think it's just it's just important to remember that Little Wayne is a living legend yeah. and we should treat him as, as such. Yeah. Um, and he's, and he's still like getting in his bag. Like he's just, he's on a new little pump song, the little pump album. And he absolutely demolishes yeah, it. Yeah. Kills it. Like with the same kind of, as we'll get into it on this mixtape, just like free associative, like, you know, clever, ho- clever, hilarious, outlandish stuff that he was doing in his prime. Yeah. So, I mean, I like this mixtape, uh, yeah, I mean, like, it was kind of like, I, I think before uh, this mixtape, often it felt like some rappers would maybe save their best verses for their albums. But like Lil Wayne at this point has, it was like he had an unlimited well of just truly incredible verses. Mm-hmm. And he basically destroyed, like, makes a better version of a lot of the artist songs that he is on. on yes, this. He, would get, he would get, so he'd, he's rapping all over, you know, popular beats of the time yeah. by the rappers like for instance ti's top back or jay-z show me what you got and really creating a new song mm-hmm. of it yeah um and he has a really famous line on this album referencing that where he's like i can hop on any nigga's song and make a part two yeah you know yeah <laughs> which is like yeah and sometimes it's like a lot of these times it's like you wayne the song becomes his mm-hmm. you know like black republicans yeah. That Nas and Jay Z song, yeah. to me, is a Little Wayne song. Like yes, I, I don't I know. I, whenever I when I hear Black Republicans, I think of Little Wayne and Joel Santana. I don't think of uh, Jay Z and Nas. Yeah, I mean the the song like "Sky's the Limit," which is like a, a Mike Jones yeah, beat that Mr. he takes. Jones. Oh my god! Like they, that he that is his. Like my like Mike Jones should delete his song. <laughs> off, you know, Lose those streaming profits. But I, I think that I remember when this tape came out. This is like I was really really obsessed with. Little Wayne, and I would go to this website that I got 
that I would find all the new songs on. It was hiphopgame.com. <laughs> um, I remember it having like weird pop-ups, but um, <laughs> they always had the, like the day that it would come out or the day after you'd have like the fresh new like music of the day. Mm-hmm. And I was always looking for Lil Wayne songs. And I, I remember when a few of these songs were appearing there first. Yeah. And for me, this is like this at, at the time and maybe even to this day is my favorite Lil Wayne project. Yeah. Um, and it just, it really feels like this was the moment where his his full range of skills are really on display. Mm-hmm. You know, um, yeah, just like, you know, we played a little bit of, of Wayne's Upgrade You freestyle earlier, but it's like on this song in particular, there are so many just crazy lanes that he goes into, mm-hmm. just like, you know, hops on this rhyme scheme and it's just like, the it's, it kind of defies convention. Yeah, no, it's. I mean, it is. It is amazing. It, it's almost so amazing that we really can't say that much interesting about it, other than the fact that after this, it was like, why bother doing a, a mixtape of you rapping over other rappers' beats? Because it's like been done. It's like not. You're not going to top this. It's like a futile exercise, and everything. Like I think people who put out mixtapes like that after this, a lot of the time, it just really felt like they d- were directly paling in comparison. Yeah, I think that, and this is like, you know, after the Carter 2 has been released, this is in the pre in the run up to the Carter 3, uh, which came out, I believe, two years after this. Uh, one year, one year. One year after, after this. Um, and, you know, Wayne has is, is just proven himself to be a really talented writer, songwriter and freestyler and all kinds of things. But I think this project is where he really kind of showed that on a, on a rapidity rap level, mm-hmm untouchable yes you know like if you you know think about just talking about like upgrade you the upgrade you freestyle the way he moves from you know put a motherfucker on ice like the maple leafs Mm -hmm. you know to the rocky part of the freestyle like Mm -hmm. you know just referencing rock like the way it just felt like he was grabbing he could grab things from like all these different places Mm -hmm. and you can follow the through line of like the free associative like style and it was just so inventive no i mean well, I mean, actually, kind of part of it was, I think, that even after this, a lot of the Little Wayne mixtapes were starting to be leaks from the Carter Three, and, and so they were original material. Like a lot of the Wayne stuff after this, I think kind of, he maybe had a, a couple smaller uh, mixtapes that were him rapping over, like doing other freestyles before he did um, No Ceilings. But a lot of the other subsequent mixtape releases were actually original material. And I, it's just hard to, it's hard to overstate how influential Lil Wayne is. Like, I think now we have a couple rappers like Drake, Kendrick, you know, you could say that there's like Travis Scott now or Future, you know. In terms of, in terms terms of influence. influence. Whereas at this time there was one rapper, like in my opinion, there was one rapper who was like influencing the rest of hip hop. I mean, and you can, uh, if you go back to our Lil Wayne episode, you can hear how much we think he influenced like every rapper subsequent yeah it's really interesting i remember i think we i mentioned this in the wayne episode that we did but i remember once seeing a little wayne interview where he says that he says he's like you know all the rappers today like myself included we modeled ourselves after Mm jay-z like we got our swag from Mm jay-z like and thought you know figured out how how we want to present ourselves from him and i feel like the number of rappers who got their swag from little wayne is like numerous like you know it's innumerable even i think it's more than jay-z actually because i think jay-z i think like jay-z 
was that was true of the 2000s but i think like little wayne's influences are you can see them more broadly i mean in, in terms of the melody like from whether it's young true. thug to kendrick i mean true, like they true, both true. and that those are kind of the two poles of current rap mm. and i don't see a lot of jay-z in either of them to be honest fair that's a fair point so for on a scale of one to ten what do you think is the likelihood that this mixtape will ever hit a streaming platform i'm gonna say between zero and two. Zero is like the much likelier situation then the two is like what i would give myself uh just in terms of me becoming a billionaire someday and pulling the strings to make this happen <laughs> having to deal with birdman and getting yeah. birdman to try it, and clear um, it, other people's productions it would be birdman doesn't even pay producers that, <laughs> that work for him yeah. he's not gonna go to somebody else listen this is but you know you got to bet on yourself a little bit. So if I, what, what I would do if I had a billion dollars, I mean, yeah, I'd probably help the needy, but I would also secure Little Wayne's mixtape legacy <laughs> in history. <laughs> nice. Yeah. All right. So we're going to play you out to uh, Sky's the Limit by yeah. Little Wayne. You know, I got from my motherfucking niggas. Most likely I'm going to die with my finger on the trigger. They tell me don't get high, not to try and make a living. I tell them I'm a hustler and I rather make a killing. My eyes get so wide as it rise in the skillet. I let my bitch bag it if she's spilling, I'm a killer. I pull it poop to ride, now I feel like I'm a dealer. And fuck your hospital, young money, we the illest. And I ain't got a lie when I tell you I'm the illest. My flow is nasty, like see why I feel it. So the next, the next album or the next mixtape, yeah. I should say, that well, we're going to talk about is from a DC-based rapper by the name of Wale, yeah. who you may have, whatever your opinions are of Wale in 2019, there was a time that he was one of the most exciting new rappers in the game yeah, and felt like he was perhaps gonna change rap yes or change mainstream rap in a way that maybe it, it hadn't been since the 90s yeah and it's based about him being like essentially an updated version of like a backpack rapper from the 90s yeah you know? i mean so i have i have this idea for uh or I, I think there's a podcast that we're gonna have at some point where we're gonna talk about the middle class era of rap one of the things w about the 2000s was it was an era where a lot of rap fans weren't as keen on what was going on with a lot of rap either you had like the super duper backpacky stuff that was like like which artists like uh def jux stuff like uh, uh like non-fiction or ill bill or, or like are you making LP. these people up right now no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> those names said so, they sound right. so fake yeah like def jux you're like the fuck <laughs> or like uh lz or yes, like right. um like Brother Ali, Homeboy mm -hmm, Sandman, mm -hmm, like people true, like that, true, true, uh, true. who are kind of boring or preachy or, you know, like the, Talib, even Talib Kweli, frankly, I think probably turned, I know he turned me off at some point, but he was a little too preachy. Mm -hmm. um, but like a lot of people were also not into the whole like rims and bling and like the ringtone rap era yeah, either. It was sort of those hyper-materialism hyper -materialism or, or like different version of trap but in the early days of That's trap right. rap, which also maybe seemed a little too much. But there was this middle ground where, like, there was an interesting bunch of artists that came out. Obviously, Kanye being the most famous. Then you have Lupe Fiasco, Wale. You have um, someone who may or may not be appearing on this mixtape again. 
I mean, not on this mixtape, on this mixtape list was Khalifa, Drake, J. Cole. This is like, I think, mm-hmm. a really like particular era. Then Mac Miller. Um, uh-huh. And then I think that to me, those are like the, the key people. And I think Chance is sort of the late stage version of that. And, and then Chance sort of has his children now, like Smino, Saba, Joey Perp. I mean, they were con- his contemporaries, but I think he's kind of the uh, heads and shoulders above them mm-hmm. in terms of renown how renowned he is but i don't consider those i don't consider like those people i just mentioned contemporaries with like wale and Lupe. yes definitely not so i think All that right. that's like a little error right there fair anyway so to me like this like what was so, so appealing about this wale mixtape was that uh um, did we mention the name of the mixtape oh well what is the name of the mixtape it's called the mixtape about nothing because it is a seinfeld reference yeah and I know what you're thinking. I've heard Wale's singles and I don't like them. Wale making a Seinfeld mixtape? That sounds like the corniest thing <laughs> ever. <laughs> but you know what? It's actually not. Yeah. It's actually really good. And I, I, I listened to it again in you know coming up for this po- to this podcast. I remember how much I loved it at the time. How excited. As you say, like it really seemed like Wale might be the future of rap at the time. Mm-hmm. And And so, you know... We, we've also mentioned before on this podcast that it was the, like 2008, 2007, 2009, 2010 in rap. It was kind of a spotty era in rap history. Yeah, there was, it was kind of, it was a trans, transitional period. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember there was a really big moment in 2009 where GQ did a feature on Drake, K- Kid Cudi, mm-hmm. and Wale and dubbed them the Gangsta Killers. Yes. And is basically talking about this exact thing about the kind of like rise of middle class, like kind of like regular, regular guys, but cool regular guys. Cool, yeah, cool. Like they were in up up to the latest streetwear. Yeah, you know? exactly. But they're also the kind of people like could probably meet your mother, and it would be fine. Yeah, exactly. You know? And Wally was firmly in that camp because just like he just seemed like somebody who was a very sensible, smart guy, mm-hmm. uh, very analytical, especially on this on this mixtape. The kind of things that he was like the kind of stuff that he was referencing and the kind of the way that he was talking about like how you carry yourself and like what's going on in the game that he dubs that he deems corny. Mm-hmm. It was, it was just like at, at the time pretty, there weren't really a lot of guys who had a foot in the mainstream mm-hmm. who were talking about these kind of things who were kind of calling out. Yeah. The, speaking like, kind of honestly and straight and straightforwardly. That's right. I feel like I would like to maybe play one of the songs. Yeah. Uh, it's it's called the heavy feature song, the feature heavy song, uh, which features two of the, uh, the the like guest stars of 2008, like the, the most choice ones. I mean, this album does actually have kind of the, the most choice uh, guest features, and that has Bun B, Pusha T, and Lil Wayne, who are like the th- in 2008, like kind of the three best guest features, I mm-hmm, think. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so let's listen to the feature heavy song. So I guess we should talk about where Wale kind of came from. Mm-hmm. So um, Africa. I'm sorry. <laughs> 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 
So, uh, well, that is true. Uh, he, I think he's actually born in D.C. He's yes. from D.C. His parents uh, are Nigerian yeah. like mine. Yes. I mean, and he even has, like, a great line about, how, like, I think on one of the first songs about his kindergarten teacher, like, never getting his name right. That's right. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's like mm-hmm. just, like, one of those. It's like the type, that's a type of lyric that was, like, very indicative of who he was. Like, just making these kind of funny, self-referential. Yeah. Like, there's, there's another line that stood out to me that I, I can't tell if... I think it's good or extremely bad. Yeah. He has a line where he's like, y'all dudes rap like you're reading, like you're reading the source. Wale raps like he reads a, th- a thesaurus. You <laughs> 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 rap like you're reading the source. Wale raps like he's reading a thesaurus. I don't even know if that's like a good thing really anymore. Like why would you read the thesaurus? <laughs> like, I'm just going to sit. I mean, you, that's what Eminem originally did. You know, what's that? Eminem allegedly, he like, that's how he learned. All a lot of words. rappers have talked about this, yeah. about, like how this is a way that they like expanded their vocabulary yeah. and, and writing. And I think it, it, it probably is useful. Yeah. I'm sure it has to be useful. I, I just wonder, it, I just wonder what's your method. Are you reading it, you know, I mean, it's alphabetically kinda, or are you just opening up to a random page and being like, okay, this is the T section. Yeah. I, you know what? I, can't clown him too hard for that. Okay, it's. That's, I mean, that's in two thousand in two thousand eight, I feel like that'd be that's a mind blowing line for yes, me. Yes, uh, yes, absolutely. Twenty nineteen, less so, but you know, we're talking about two thousand eight right now. So yeah. So um, basically, I, at some point, he linked up with Mark Ronson. Um, yes. So you know, Mark Ronson. Who's Mark Ronson, James? I mean, he is a superstar uh, producer who's responsible for helping the careers of some notable British artists, such as Lily Allen. Remember her? I mean, uh, Amy Winehouse, obviously. Um, Adele, uh, Lady Gaga. You know, some, some pretty big pretty big people that he's been instrumental in their careers. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, so while I linked up with him, and uh, this, one of the things that I really like about this mixtape is that it has... It's like this is a feature of this style of mixtape from the era. It has a streetwear label that only a very few people will remember like, who are sponsoring it and get like the drop on it called 10 Deep. Mm-hmm. 10 Deep was famous for this chain link hoodie that was very big on Hypebeast. If anybody remembers that, shout out to you for also being on that uh, 2005 Hypebeast uh, forums. Fascinating. They, they also um, sponsored a kid named Cuddy, the, f- yes. the great Kid Cuddy mixtape, which is on streaming platforms yeah i think so because it's all that's all original and i I believe it is so i mean yeah this uh, what makes this mixtape so great is it's like first of all it has a lot of the sounds of the era um there's a lot of like kind of horns a lot of like uh like you know uh rim shot snare drum beats that like you don't you don't necessarily think when you think of 2008 and rap you don't necessarily think of these things but then you listen to it and you're like oh this is so much of this era it didn't really seem like it had a distinct sound at the time and now you go back and listen to it and it does Mm -hmm. he raps i think i actually think that there is something that is so likable about wally on this on this mixtape that kind of went missing when he like signed to, to maybach music well at first he was with interscope right that's true but like i mean the sort of late career wally Mm -hmm. Where there's something about Wale where he doesn't really seem to enjoy being famous. He doesn't really seem to like, he seems to be, have be pretty fragile and just kind of a chip on his shoulder. I think it's because, you know, coming out of the, the hype that happened with this mixtape mm-hmm. and how it was received and the way the media kind of anointed him to be this future savior of hip hop. Mm-hmm. And then 
signed to Interscope and put out this album that a lot of his core fan base didn't really like because mm-hmm. it was like the kind of classic major label situation. Like he has a, f- a song called Chillin' with Lady Gaga, yeah, which is like the most like, you know, the most clear cut example of like a label being like, let's get two of our b- artists together. Like let's yeah, le- yeah, use yeah, Lady yeah, Gaga yeah. to prop Wale up. Yeah. And I mean, yeah, like, I personally think the song is fine. I kind of liked it, yeah. but his fans hated it because it just felt like it ran counter to everything that he stood for. Yeah. And so then his, when his major label album kind of flopped, he kind of became, you know, it, it, it he had kind of had a scarlet letter attached to him for being this guy, like a massive failure. Mm-hmm. And I think that seeing the way the media turned on him sort of really has always created this permanent chip on his shoulder about it. Yeah. And I mean, I, I can get that, but it, it's like, I guess if you listen to this first mixtape, uh, there's just such a, a, a kind of like jubilant, like happy, kind of like carefree aspect to it mm-hmm. that is, is just super enjoyable, and along with the really strong rapping. And yeah. It's a good, a good sense of humor. Yeah. Uh, yeah, exactly. Like, you know, at, th- at this time, uh, Lil Wayne was just doing dozens and dozens and dozens of features it seemed like a month you know he was on he was on so many songs during this period and on the mixtape about nothing wally calls his little wayne feature song called the cliche little wayne feature yeah exactly (laughs) you know it's like just like stuff like that like it just because like a lot of the rap you know i think the 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 knock on backpack backpack rap in general has always been sort of that it's like humorless yeah self-serious and it's way too serious they take themselves way too seriously and i think that wale rapping in that style uh also does a good job to kind of undercut this the seriousness of how you might receive him mm-hmm. by having all this like humor in it yeah exactly and, and i mean i feel like this it this mixtape was just uh, it's kind of similar to uh again like a kid and cuddy or or so far gone and that it was like really one of the early examples of an artist pushing the boundaries of what a mixtape could be now there's some there's some stuff that is sort of it's like borrowed beats some kind of beats that are a little bit flipped and there's some like original stuff as well original production uh you know it, it also has some like funny like seinfeld references that actually do work you know, uh-huh. Julie Re- Louise Dreyfus doing a shout out on it is really funny. Yes. Um, I don't and know. also, Wale became pals in Seinfeld after this. Really? They're still friends. That's hilarious. Yeah. That's really funny. Mm-hmm. Damn. All right. What's, what song should we should we go out to on? Oh, wait, before that. Okay. Jordan, what do you think the chances are that this is ever going to end up on a streaming platform? You know, I think that I would give it a six. Yeah. I think that if they really wanted to, they could... It wouldn't be so hard. Pretty easily clear a lot of this stuff. Yeah. Um, I just think that, do they want to? Like, <laughs> are yeah. people interested in Wally enough that to, that this would make sense? I mean, at some point, do you think that all of these things are just going to come to streaming? Like the things that can make it? I don't know. It's a hard, it's a difficult question. I mean, there is a lot of music out there. And it, I mean, store, like on one hand, like hard drives and so on are only going to get bigger. Uh, but at the same time, like it only it seems like people are more and more focused on them now. You're right. Let's go out to uh, li- the cliche little Wayne teacher. Yeah, it's the return of the ambassador. Heard you by my sassy, now I'm laughing because I'm passing you. 
yeah, and Bama's rap, but they lack the passion for it. They lack the vision. Young Falara now can Labrador I reel them in, go with domes on. See, I'm on my Scott Storch, stay in Clay of Timberlands. Yeah, a beat clubber, no thug, but the streets love them. YBM and EMP, it's like we brothers. And peace, all I'm in the dipset phenomena. DC gotcha, we got them like you got them on. All right. Okay, and what's the next mixtape we're going to talk about? We're going to talk about, uh, I think this is one of both of our all-time favorite mixtapes. Again, it's sort of a funny time capsule of the era, because if you are only familiar with this artist's more recent work, you won't believe how that this person could ever have been this cool. But we're going to go with uh, Wiz Khalifa's Cushion Orange Juice. A classic mixtape. A classic mixtape. You know, I, I was a really big Wiz Khalifa fan from very early on. Um, because a friend of mine, my old university roommate showed me the song he had called Say Yeah, like in 2007, which uses that better off alone sample. And actually, let's listen to a little bit of Whiskey for Say Yeah. One night in town, my niggas round, throwing money, them bitches hit the ground, then bring it back up, she bring it back up, put them in that black truck, so many hoes they lapped up. My niggas leaning, did he bopping? Let's get it popping. I said, let's get it popping. Just look at how she drop it. Little mama certified pro. She need her own show. Yeah, and I think just kind of like to your point earlier about the middle class rap thing, mm-hmm. like for me as like a first year university student, there was mm-hmm. just something that I thought was really interesting about Wiz Khalifa, about his like look, the, the tattoos, like the, you know, being super thin. Yeah. And, you know, bragging, saying like, you know, we only smoke papers, we don't smoke blunts. <laughs> I, for some reason, I found I was like, wow, that's like brave of you to admit that, <laughs> no. you, that you can't handle smoking blunts because I too cannot handle smoking blunts. You know, yeah. like it's, it's like, like he's 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 someone that I, I really connected with, and I also feel like Wiz Khalifa is one of the first artists that I saw develop in the way that we're all very used to seeing artists develop, where mm. you start following them on social media because this is around the time, like the dawn of social media, like you know. Uh, in the next few years, like Twitter starts up and like following him on Facebook and stuff. And mm-hmm. I remember these different like little inflection points where I could, you could kind of see him climbing the ladder. Mm-hmm. Like I remember he, he got really early on, he got this, uh, he did a song with Soldier Boy very early on. Like Soldier Boy reached out to him and they made a song. And I remember thinking, fuck, this is amazing. Like yeah. Soldier Boy, like this is gonna, this is like getting, like Wizcliff is getting this like attention, mm-hmm. you know? And, um, anyway. No, I mean, I, I think that is a big part of Wiz Khalifa's sort of success story is that his fans felt very invested in him from a very early stage. Mm-hmm. I, remember, I remember seeing him go from like 5,000 Twitter followers to like 17,000 to like now it's probably like, you know, 10 million, 10 million. And it just felt like that. I mean, this is this is now just how people consume music and discover new artists. It's mm-hmm. like you see them. You start listening to them however you however it happens when they're independent. You watch them get signed. You watch them work with if they if they get to that level bigger people, yeah. bigger producers. You see their careers kind of ascend, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's like this this is I mean, we've talked about this in the in the in one of our previous episodes, but it's like this is the whole thing of like why labels secretly sign people and like even Wiz Khalifa himself was secretly signed at it's some true, at some yeah, point. Yeah. Like where he had signed to Atlantic Records, but they didn't say it officially they didn't tell them me- they didn't tell the media mm-hmm. um and it was because like there's something or people like seeing the organic rise of an artist that they like yeah exactly yeah i mean i uh 
I, I, I sort of liked, I was sort of interested in him before Kushner and Shoes. Like, I listened to him here or there. Um, I remember I liked Currency a lot. Um, mm-hmm. who was oft, often collaborator with, uh, with, with Scalifa. Yeah. His previous project was called Deal or No Deal. And this is around the time that the, the hype is really kind of cresting around him. And it's clear that labels see, they're looking at him and they see the, the money mm-hmm. they see. And also like he, he had a really like kind of carefree fun style that I think was like, it felt very, it was like harmless but edgy enough that you that you felt like something subversive was going on. Yeah, I, I feel like like a lot of the kind of middle class rappers are like they gave you the feeling of being sort of one of the cool kids in high school. You know what I mean? That's uh-huh. like what I think of Wiz Khalifa. It's not like this like ex like larger than life persona. It's like this. It's like something that you, it's like kind of like on your best day. You feel uh-huh. like you're kind of like Wiz Khalifa. You know? So, Cushion Cushion orange, orange juice. Oh, this 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 uh, mixtape. Tell me, tell me your thoughts on it. So one of the things that really struck, like, just jumps out to me upon going back to it is how incredible the production is on it. Mm. It's really distinct. It's sort of like, like the beat. Some of the some of the beats literally are sampled from like old video games. Um, they, I I don't know even really know how exactly to articulate it, but there's a, there's like just um, it has such a distinct sonic profile that kind of reminds me of like 90s stuff but it at the same time feels very it felt very very current at the time mm-hmm. um Car- cardo uh and who was i think it's actually one of his first ever releases now he's a, a giant producer he's a massive producer he, it also goes by cardo got wings he did uh, god's plan for example uh-huh and yeah so wiz Khalifa had kind of a stable of producers that he used he worked with frequently at this time mm-hmm. a guy named johnny giuliano sledgerin um and cardo were the like were kind of like the stalwarts mm-hmm. of this moment and yeah they really kind of create like a created this sonic template for him that yeah. he really they really carried through a, a lot of his projects I, to me there's like a what i what i always associate with it i guess from the title and just like the themes is like it's like kind of like stoner music but it's just like it's like the slickest possible stoner music so yeah it's a little more it's like sparkly stoner yeah. music and I mean, when when Wizkleaf eventually went to, you know, started releasing his like major label albums, mm-hmm. they really kind of delved into this level of corniness that I no longer could tolerate. Just tolerate. Yeah. Um, I forget whatever the song is where he's like, "Yeah, we stay up late and we party, and our parents <laughs> don't like it, but yeah. it's fine." Yeah. I was like, "What the fuck?" <laughs> yeah. But with a similar kind of like a similar kind of like you know ethos in some in some yeah. of these songs, but just like a completely different vibe, like. Uh, one of my one of the standout songs for me on this this project is in the cut. Mm. It's just like a really fun party song that like also feels cool and not corny. Uh, let's listen to a little bit. Of in the uh, cut. It just occurred to me, but I, what, uh, I, I, like Wiz Khalifa, one of the things I think that was really interesting about him was that he had a real variety of influences. He's very influenced by the underground New York rapper Max B, who will probably be a, a future episode, uh, 
topic uh who, who was like a early melody like uh use early a rapper who was an early made early use of the melody style of vocal that we see all the time now mm-hmm. a little bit di- like a little bit different stocks it wasn't it wasn't like the autotune t- uh, t-pain stuff um but that he was a uh, wizcliff was a huge fan of his um the he was also you know he's fans of sort of a lot of like what was we as like rap fans at the time the rappers that we kind of looked up to like gucci Mane or cameron there's a lot of those kinds of like really he had really good taste in rap mm-hmm. um but i realized that like i in this record he almost he doesn't rap in the same like with the same like sort of vocal uh like you know sound or with like the same accent but his rhyming almost reminds me of like the um like 90 like 90s west coast like kind of pimp rappers like dj quick or snoop like there's just like a slickness like fun like i'm like so smooth kind of vibe to this Uh uh that i think that that is like what is what actually kind of so interesting about it that he could be so cool on this and now be one of the least cool rappers of all time but you know i think it's just that's just something that happens when you kind of are reaching for that brass ring at at all costs It's it's like the quality control isn't necessarily there because you're you're chasing the bag. Yes, and you know I I remember with Wiz Khalifa this is like um, a thing. I remember feeling like when he when he signed that when his first out major label album came out and I only liked like maybe three of the songs on the on the album. I was like, you know what? He gave me a bunch of great mixtapes that I loved. You know, um, like Dealer No Deal, Flight School, Flight School, which is like my favorite i think really more than more than christian aren't you yes it's definitely my do you favorite. think that's because of your association with it definitely it's about the time in my life when i listened to it mm-hmm. and like kind of like wh- how it made me feel yeah i like uh, that one but to me christian orange juice is like a masterpiece uh-huh um but yeah i remember thinking that i was like you know i may not i may never listen to any of your music ever again mm-hmm. but you already gave me enough free music to sustain me yeah and like go and get your money like yeah. I, like I'm, you know, I'm not going to be following your career the same way, mm-hmm. but I'm just happy that you're doing well. You know, it's kind of funny. He had the ex- exact opposite career of Mac Miller. Mac Miller came out corny and like super popular and had this like songs like Trump and whatnot. And then I liked him. Yeah, well, he was he was corny. I'm sorry, he was corny, he, I, and he knew it too. I think that's uh, yeah, he I, knew it. That's you're probably right, but I think I also was like totally in the target demographic of Mac Miller's uh, like yeah, college yeah. rap stuff. Yeah, yeah, I thought he was corny. Anyway, and then he became very cool. Like you can't, you it's have true. to admit that he became much cooler. He did, later he on did, he career. did. Well, he he went, he really, yeah, absolutely did. And he really, you know, grew as an artist and everything. And thought a lot about like what what he wanted to present and what kind of music he wanted to make. Exactly, which it doesn't really seem like Wiz Khalifa did. It's the opposite. Wiz Khalifa thinks a lot about what what he wants to present and what that is. It's Khalifa Kush. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, he thinks he, about what he wants to make, and that is money. Yeah, he's a mogul. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, anything else you want to mention about Cushion Orange Juice or Wiz Khalifa? Um, I think that this probably influenced a lot of teens to smoke marijuana. Yeah. yeah. And you know what? I think that's bad. Really? No. Uh, <laughs> I think it's good. <laughs> um, what, what do you think is the likelihood of this? I think it's a 10. Yeah, this is a 10. I might already 10. be on some streaming platforms, actually. I'm not sure. If it's not, it's. I know it's been. It is. It is. Yeah. It is. So this is. We this, fucked up. We fucked up. You know what though? That's just a little surprise for for you and I and listeners that they can actually get this one very easily. Yeah. You, and you so, know what? You it's know, a really good one. Yeah, and this is a really a really good take to uh, just like 
check out Wiz Khalifa in his prime. <laughs> yeah, please do. Um, so yeah, we'll play you out to uh, well, my favorite Wiz Khalifa song of all time, Mesmerized. And check out the music video if you never have. It's a great music video. I don't love them. I don't chase them. I duck them. Smoke something. Go to one new state soon as I fuck them. Niggas be pressed for pussy. Ain't nothing. Instead of worrying about who that bitch fucking. Why don't you get you some money? Nine times out of ten she see me stunting. Game running. Wanna know my hotel and who found the ring when she coming. I keep it a hundred. Get love from the hoes but it's money over bitches. Nothing above it. Like the weed loud like my engine when I speed up. Bitch Okay, and the next mixtape we're going to talk about is by the American rapper Rick Ross. Something you should know about Rick Ross is while he has maybe the most outlandishly uh, drug czar-based rap persona, in real life he was a correctional officer. And uh, as you may be or maybe not able to guess, that struck some people in the rap community as a little bit problematic. Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, even now as you're recounting it, I, I, re- I remember reading this Rolling Stone profile of Lil Wayne around that time, and they asked him about Rick Ross, the Rick Ross thing, because him and Rick Ross were good friends, yeah. and that they believe still are. Yeah. And he, Wayne said, he's like, how you gonna hate on a nigga for having a job? <laughs> he had a job. And I'm like... <laughs> I still think I'm like that's true. Like yes, I, I think being true. being a correctional officer at one point in your life does not mean that you could not have also been a drug dealer. Or yes, something. You I know, know. It's just like I, in it, fact, I mean, how do you think the drugs get in? The <laughs> there you go. You know that was the weird, always the weirdest thing about it to me though is that either he actually did smuggle drugs into prisons or he just wanted to like get away from the issue as like pretend it never happened kind of kind of was his like damage control strategy uh-huh. but i always thought it would be really wise to be like well you know not all po's or, or, or co's are, are clean you know i think i think the smarter play is to not even say any of that yeah probably, you know probably. Not, you don't need to draw legal heat to yourself yeah, to maintain rap true. credibility that's but it's true. funny well, because I mean, like this was like, this was in an era where this kind of thing meant so, seemingly meant so much and then it didn't but it didn't because soon after this, on an album in which he titled "The Teflon Don," mm-hmm. uh, Rick Ross had one of his biggest songs ever, one of his best songs for my money, mm-hmm. uh, called "BMF Blowing Money Fast," which is it's also a reference to famous drug dealing crew called the Black Mafia family. Yeah, um, and I believe Fifty Cent is actually working on a television show about yes about yes, that's BMF. True. Yeah, so maybe a lot of a lot if you don't know who BMF are. Uh, you'll hear, you'll learn about them soon. But I also would just recommend looking up the. There's a some articles written about their kind of like their whole run. Yes. In um, in a Atlanta publication. Yeah, I've got I've got some good BMF stories. If we ever do a Jeezy episode, you know, I don't know if I want to be talking about that. All, all that. On That's the, true. You know? We respect we respect the the run of the the Black Mafia family <laughs> and uh, you know everything that they accomplished. <laughs> Um, so yeah, after BMF, it's like, it became clear that Rick Ross was going to not only, he like tripled down on this character. It's like, you know, and he really just proved himself to be, I think his, his way of, of getting around this, this thing that, you know, in previous generations may have ended his career was to go even harder at that, at that, as that figure. I have a funny story about this. So, uh, I, I was looking up like the history of, um, of Rick Ross, if you, like maybe just you know one of the things I do when I on a 
quiet Thursday evening. <laughs> and uh, so I knew that he was he was somehow affiliated with a, what was actually a really large uh, drug cartel in Miami called the Carroll City Cartel. And who was head or the, they were also known as the Booby Boys because Booby was their like leader and they got busted. And basically Rick Ross is like the like what Rick Ross says about them is that like he was inspired to create the Rick Ross character based on the exploits of these people of seeing them driving like a convoy of Rolls Royces through the hood. But the, there's an interview, an interview I read with like one of maybe like the, the, the second or third highest up Carol City cartel person. Where he was like, I understand that Booby okayed it. And so, like, you know, I have to, like, fall in line with it. But, like, I really wish he would stop shouting us out on his records because it's affecting my parole hearing. And he's like, you know, I I feel like it's respectful and I get it. But, like, can you, like, can you just chill out? Wow. <laughs> yeah. Which I thought was just so funny and, like, so, like absurd and yet, like, very down to earth about it at the same time. Uh-huh. It's definitely, it's weird that, that the parole board is like, you keep, you're mentioned in these Rick Ross songs and you know we are 50 Cent fans over here. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like it's, um, anyway, so in 2012, 12. January 2012, Rick Ross releases this blockbuster mixtape called Rich Forever. Mm-hmm. And this this time in... I mean, it's funny because this this is really Rick Ross's probably his the prime of his career. Yes, definitely. If you go to his Wikipedia page, this 2010 to 2013, this is referred to as the prime Ross years, <laughs> <laughs> which I think is very funny. Um, but around this time, you know, he was really he just came off of the uh, Albert Anastasia EP, which was like extremely mm-hmm. well received. I yeah. think that was around the time people started to realize they're like, oh, Rick Ross is an incredible rapper. Yeah. You he know? got really good too. He wasn't always really good. That's he true. Got better. He really did improve. Um, and so, and around the time he was working with Diddy a lot, like he was managed by, uh, Ciroc entertainment <laughs> or whatever Diddy's management company was called. And Rich forever. I remember was going to be, it was like his breakout moment where he was like, he really yeah. is like one of the top rappers in the game. Absolutely. At this point. And the, the crazy thing about this is that this tape was released only months after, Rick Ross was hospitalized for he was hospitalized twice mm-hmm. for kind of like a health scare that wasn't really I, I feel like the details were never really like no never really explained solidly explained but it seemed like some like you know kind of like like a heart related situation of mm-hmm. some sort and there for a little for a while there it seemed very touch and go about mm-hmm. whether or not he would make it yeah and I remember being so colossally bummed out because I was like this guy's about to have like the the highlight of his career mm-hmm. and he like might not even get to see it mm-hmm. but he recovered mm-hmm. and so when rich forever came out i was super excited for it and honestly it it really was a strong a strong uh project for him and i think it was it's also like this is the, in the era like the this is 2012 late 2011 this is like still the post less lex luger era mm-hmm. and lex this luger, is all is such a lex luger like inspired record that's the thing it's like uh lex luger for those of you that don't know is a producer who's who kind of had a breakout moment in line with a uh, walk a flock of flame exactly. in 2010 2009 yeah um and kind of created this sonic template that really influenced an entire generation of of trap of yes of, tra- of trap producers i mean it is a, to me like the lex luger it's like there was a sense of that there was trap Trap started with Jeezy or Ti or even like like sonically with like Three Six Mafia, mm-hmm. but to me like 
like what we think of as trap started with Lex Luger. I agree with that. I agree. And I was thinking of that as a, as I was listening to this this mixtape in which Lex Luger only has one production. credited production yeah. here, but you can hear it I mean, on every, you can hear every his song. influence. And this and like the Lex Luger sound was kind of like a very maximalist mm-hmm. like, you know, you're hearing a lot of a lot of different things, yeah, like, like you know, bells and and <laughs> stuff like that, like That's right. And I Rick Ross was just rapping ferociously on this on mm-hmm. this project and I think that like you know I think it's, it's so important the, the, your your voice as a rapper like how your voice sounds is such an important tool for you mm-hmm. and Ross is gifted with like he's one of the best one of the best voices in maybe rap history to yeah be honest absolutely with you. especially it's if so you're, distinctive if, especially if you're not into the high pitch style which some some rap vocal like vocalist aficionados love like the easy e boozy mm-hmm. uh oppressive being a, a more recent example i think ross has i mean like a, a really nice deep like baritone like ross has i think is almost more compelling yeah and i think i think it also helps with the stories that he's telling it just it mm-hmm. just gives the gravitas it totally does like his voice it sounds like a character in a movie yes you know yeah it does and there's just a lot of really great songs in here there's a song that i uh so I'm a big fan of Yellow Diamonds. Um, let's, let's listen to a little bit of Yellow Diamonds. For Christmas is my Pyrex. My dope shining like it's Yellow Diamonds. My dope shining like it's Yellow Diamonds. 19 for the whole thing. Walk up by the trap, nigga, it's bling, bling. My dope shining like it's Yellow Diamonds. My dope shining there's kind of a funny moment in what was really the biggest in, in what was the biggest moment on this record. Ross has always been of a bit of like a communitarian, a bit of someone who wants to like be friends with a lot of people in rap, collaborate with a lot of people in rap. I always feel like he must be like kind of the host of, we you know when rappers go to Miami, it's like him and DJ Khaled take people out for brunch and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> but like, so there's a, a rapper from Toronto named Drake who appears on the uh, one of the last songs on the record stay scheming and this it was like one of i think one of the moments of where drake's career like entered another gear Mm -hmm. just in terms of his rapping ability this was this is where we see the the evolution of drake the nice guy into drake maybe sometimes mean yes Yes, maybe a little bit tougher than we thought. Yes, yeah, so Drake with some edge. Um, Stays giving just a really massive, massive song. And I mm-hmm. think, so it's a Drake, French Montana, Rick Ross. And in Drake's verse, he spends a lot of time taking subliminal, I don't even know if you want to call them subliminal because they're very clear shots, but they are subliminal shots at Common with whom he was I- engaged in a beef uh, over the affections of one Serena Williams. <laughs> oh my God. And I totally forgot about that. <laughs> I'll never forget. Because I'm like, I was just it's just it just was interesting to me because Common started dissing Drake in the media and yeah. it was so transparently about Serena Williams. And I'm yeah, like, yeah. why aren't you embarrassed to be like that you're like trying to couch this in, in something else when it's very clear that you're like, you know, yeah, yeah. you're upset about a relationship, you yeah, know? Yeah. Um so let's let's listen to Stay Scheme. It bothers me when the guards get to acting like the bras. Guess every team doesn't come complete with niggas like ours. That's why I see no need to compete with niggas like y'all. I just ask that when you see me, you speak up, nigga, that's all. Don't be ducking like you never wanted nothing. It's feeling like rap changed. It was a time it was rugged. 
Back when if a nigga reached, it was for the weapon. Nowadays, niggas reach just to set a record. Spaghetti bowling years in the polo lounge. Me and my G from DC, that's how I roll around. Might look like, but we heavy though. You think Drake will put some shit like that? You never know. Million dollar meetings in the polo I, You know, I, the funny thing is, I, th- I feel like after this, like Rick Ross has put out some set, set, like decent albums in the last mm-hmm. few years. He's okay. He's okay. Yeah, he's fine. I think, but I, for me, even though I think he's still a really skilled, maybe even a better rapper and writer now than he was then. No, he's not. I don't know, man. Really? I think like if you, if you like idols become rivals, like that song about like Birdman. Yeah, but I still like, da, 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 like, like I think 2010 to 2012 was his, it was like, it doesn't get better. Like his devil in the blue, blue dress verse uh-huh. and like his like window seat freestyle and I don't know. I think he's. You're, you know, you're probably right. You're probably right. I, 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 just for me, this was like, this was the era of Rick Ross as be, being, essentially being the person in rap who he wanted said, to be. Yeah. Being the person in rap who he said he was as a drug dealer. Yeah. No, exactly. And I, I mean, I, at some point, I think I want to do like a whole episode of Rick Ross because I think he's, he's kind of got an interesting career in that. He was so dominant for, you know, maybe three, four years. And I don't know that in he will go down in history like being recognized for being as dominant as he was. Yeah. I, well, I also think that, you know, his album, God Forgives I Don't, like, mm-hmm. which is an incredible title. I, th- I thought that was like a bit of a letdown. Mm-hmm. And I think that really affected the trajectory of his career as a rapper. It did. He's, he's become a very successful mogul and label head. Yeah. Having Wale for years, who, reviving Meek. Wale's career, essentially. Yeah, Meek, Meek Mill. Mill, who's still on uh, MMG. But, I mean, I, you know, I, I guess one other thing is we didn't even talk about how this was the, the dawn of, of the great Maybach music. I like that. <laughs> um, <laughs> producer tag, or not yeah. producer tag, but the tag for the for the yeah. label. Great tag, though. which was a huge meme at the mo- at the time. Yeah, and, and I remember when Complex did a story where they inter- they found the models or whoever said the name of music yeah. and they talked to them, and it was like it was like that was like classic 2012 internet content. <laughs> it really the, was, yeah, a simpler time, a simpler time. Um, so on a scale of one to ten, what do you think is the likelihood that this mixtape makes it to streaming platforms think, at some point? I think pretty high. I'd say like if it's not if it's if it hasn't been on a streaming platform in the past, I would say it will probably make it like six seven. Okay, I'd, yeah. You said pretty high in six seven. That seems like pretty mid. Uh, well, it's not a ten. Okay. I don't think because I I don't know what, what like about, Ross what about is, an eight or you know. I think it's seven. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. The judges here. The judges here. I guys. could be wrong. I mean, I honestly, I uh, I don't think I recognized the importance of this mixtape until you highlighted it. It, it really were great yep. reviews. It was like kind of as you say, like it, there's a lot of things. So maybe it is an eight. Maybe it is an eight. I don't know. We'll uh, see. All right. We'll see. Let's uh, let's let's. What what do you want to play him out? Okay, to? I want to play. Let's. Okay, we're gonna play you out to a song by Rick Ross from Rich Forever called "Fuck 'Em." <laughs> C note after C note, put the remix on my kilo. Thought I wouldn't make it, now I'm winning Timothy Tebow. Huh. Fourth quarter, I'm back. Huh. Fourth quarter, in fact. Huh. Fourth quarter, that's set. Fourth quarter, all black. I said, boss, and I meant that. Advance, you spit that. Corvette so clean, you'll think Bruce Springsteen rent that. Cars just like sneakers, just got me 10 pair. Dubai, I've been there, but fuck that, we in here. Roll up the inhale, I live next to Denzel.
So before we get into this final this final mixtape, I want to talk, tell you a story about a concert I went to in August of 2012. Um, I went to see Childish Gambino. <laughs> and this is in the peak corny years of Childish Gambino. This is when Donald Glover... I think at this point, I, I, I thought of Donald Glover as being insufferable. I definitely did. And, you know, the, pre, the pre-Atlanta days when we were like, couldn't stand Donald Glover and his, I know Tina Fey, shtick. Yeah. Um, but I went to see him because he was on tour with Danny Brown, mm. the rapper from Detroit. And I was excited to see Danny Brown because he'd never been to Canada. And so it was, the concert was at Echo Beach. And I, I, I went, I went just to see Danny Brown. Like I had no interest in seeing Charles Gambino. I was actually planning to leave. And so we get down there. I'm with a friend and it was raining and Echo Beach, for those of you that don't know and don't live in Toronto, is a it's a concert venue that's like it's on a beach, mm. <laughs> essentially, or a man made beach. Um, and so it's it started to rain, and there was somebody else performing, and it wasn't Danny Brown, like opening up. And I was kind of like, "What's going on with Danny Brown?" And I was checking Twitter, and I, I even tweeted at him. I was like, "Hey, Danny, what's going on? Like, when are you coming out? We're waiting <laughs> yeah. for you." And then the as the opening person was performing, it was doing a really a really good job but i was couldn't be more disinterested because i really wanted to see danny brown they kept talking about okay charles gambito's coming up next and i was like oh and it became clear to me gradually that danny brown likely did not make it into the country and would not be performing that night but they didn't say anything about that and then so charles gambito came out after this other rapper and i i left the concert before gambito even finished i was like i was just like in a bad mood and I i do not want to watch this and the next day, my like one of my friends that I went to the show with, who's not really a big hip hop fan, he was like, he he was saying to me, he's like, you know, I really like that person who opened, and I looked them up, and they have they have like a lot of, and they have like really good project out, I like it. He's like, it's, it's the person's his name is Chance the Rapper, and um, it was just interesting because like seeing him perform in this thing where I wasn't interested in him, mm-hmm. no one knew who he was. I he won over the entire crowd, yeah, and. At a rap concert, it's really hard to do that if no one knows your songs because you, you're not playing an instrument. There's yeah. not a way to impress them with like technical prowess. Even like verb, like if you're doing, even verbally, it's not very impressive. <laughs> no. You know, you kind of have to know the songs. And Chance was able to win over that crowd, which is something I haven't really seen in a lot of places. There's very few people I've very seen few. do that. I, honestly, if you can do that, you're going to be a star. In my it's opinion. Like, it's yeah, like, it's, it's Chance great. the Rapper and Jazz Cartier are like the two people that I've seen do that. Yeah. Um, Anyway, Chance the Rapper puts out this mixtape called Acid Rap. Yes. I remember kind of finding out about him maybe a month before Acid Rap came out. And here, listening to 10 Days, which was his first mixtape, which for a first mixtape is incredible. Like, if if you actually hear most rappers' first mixtapes, they're often pretty bad. Like, depending on their access to, like, like especially recently, you know, like, mm-hmm. like whatever... Um, Wale's first mixtape is it's like it might not be the best uh-huh. for example a lot of a lot of artists they because they it's like it's just a time for the they're, they're still for, finding themselves mm-hmm. but chance on 10 days is has quite a strong voice 10 day 10 day 10 day you're right um yeah i think that you know with with when acid rap came out it was you know clear that there was like a new dawn a new era in hip-hop happening yeah like, it was so ex- it was so exciting when Acid Rap came out because you know here this is like Ch- Acid Rap 
to me, sounds like something that's so clearly post Kanye, post Drake, mm-hmm. like influenced by like those artists. Yeah. And allows Chance to kind of come into the game and create his own character where there's not really any examples of artists that were like him at the time. Yeah. And, you know, even from the, from the very, from the very, from the very intro of the song, mm-hmm. it's very clear that you're hearing something that you haven't heard before yeah. and that this is the dawn of, of like, a, a, a new, new, something new, something new and a new star. Yes. Uh, let's listen to a little bit of good ass intro, actually. We back and 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 we back. Better than I was the last time. Raps just made me anxious, and that shit made me crazy. Them squares just made me looser, that wax just made me lazy. And I still make this song, and I'ma make another. If you ever actually hit me, better watch out for my brother. Better bet I'll take that deal. Gotta watch out for my mother. Get a watch with all that glitters. Come in clutters, different colors. Been a baller, been for butler, chauffeur, hit a stainer. Did I stutter? Did a ton of drugs and did better than on my own Yeah, like the rapping is so deft. It's clever. It's mm-hmm. funny. It's weirdly like you can hear the influences of like kanye west and eminem in the way that he mm-hmm. rhymes it's just like a weird a weird like combination into something that like cr- entirely his own mm-hmm. uh and he was just like it was it was also fun it was mm-hmm. fun it was funny it was serious talking about like you know the murder rate in chicago mm-hmm. at moments and really kind of like be being the voice of the kind of silent youth that you weren't really hearing from. Mm-hmm. And the previous year was kind of like the breakout year of Chief Keef. And yeah. a lot of Chicago rap was getting a lot of attention. Mm-hmm. And when Chance the Rapper came out, a lot of people were saying, okay, finally, we have like a good representation of what Chicago's like. And they were kind of trying to set up Chief yeah. Keef and Chance the Rapper as like polar opposites and yeah. like, like not of the same Chicago mm-hmm. in some ways. Um, but Chance on this album... Shouts out Chief, Chief Keith. And I remember yes, at the yeah. time thinking, like, that's a very, very, like, unusual. Like, I w- it was not something I expected. It's not something, I, 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 the way that the media constructed it, it would be so easy for Chance to be, like, you know, to kind of accept that without really, without really, like, giving them the full go ahead, but kind of, like, ra- relish in, in that kind of description. I mean, my sense, I, and I could be off base, but what, from what I remember was that it seemed like they knew each other. Like, it, it seemed like through, like, the underground, like, high school talent show kind of scene that they they had some awareness of each other because i remember i feel like i remember chief keith like tweeting it about chance or something like that yes i think oh i think they definitely like were aware of each other yeah and and, and in positive and very positively like there was no mm-hmm. animosity it was like a of, of you know kind of mutually supportive spirit it was mm-hmm. very very much there and i think fairly organic yeah and i think this is like universally accepted as Chance the Rapper's best project. Yeah. Uh, and I wonder if it'll ever he'll ever come close to this again. You know, I, I I don't know if he can because I think that part of what is so exciting about this mixtape is that he is really wise for a 20-year-old. Mm-hmm. But there's also an element of kind of searching and having not figured it all out. And he's experimenting with drugs and like all this stuff that makes it a little more it just doesn't come off as preachy as some of his other music does because now he's like, you know, he's like, he, he's got, a, it seems like he's got a lot of his life figured out. You know, mm-hmm. he's, he's got his long-term relationship. He's got his child. He's got his religion. He's got, he's his, got co- his causes. That he's, he's got his, his causes. He's involved in politics. He's yeah. just, he's just kind of become a person. He's become a figure that I feel like doesn't really allow for 
it's kind of hard to have for him to have any kind of edge right now. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I think it's hard for him to probably find the like mental space to create like an artistic work this cohesive and this sort of ambitious. Hmm. It's a fair point. Um, there's just, I think there's another thing about Chance, especially on this project, is like Chance the influencer. Mm-hmm. The amount of careers. If you look at the tree from like the artists that have kind of spawned outside out of who got their first major exposure exposure through Chance the Rapper, it's yes. really like a very impressive list. You yeah. got No Name, yeah, you know Saba, yeah, Joey Perp, uh, Joe Joey Perp, BJ the Chicago Kid, BJ the Chicago Kid, Vic Mensa, even yeah. to a degree, yes, definitely. You know, so definitely. it's like um, Childish Gambino. <laughs> i mean like actually I mean, though, yeah he did do a lot for his uh his image I, in my opinion yeah it's true it's true it's just it's just really it's really impressive yeah and it makes like going back and listening to this project uh it's just like this is a really like outstanding 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 mixtape and it's like it's worth going out of your way to listen to and i think that if, of all the ones of all the mixtapes that we talked about today mm-hmm. i think this is the one the biggest one that i think everyone if you haven't listened to or have, even haven't listened to it in a while you should go back and listen to it yeah because it's just like it's it's a moment in time it's it's also just like what chance the rapper is doing mm-hmm. you know stylistically creatively another like outstanding uh song is like push a man par- slash paranoia well that's that should be our going out song okay. paranoia because that's the best song he's ever made okay James, what's the likelihood that, that this will be on a streaming platform at some point? A hundred percent. Yeah, there's no way this doesn't get on there. Yeah. The fact that it's not on there now is kind of curious to me. I, I mean, it is interesting. I, I would imagine there's, it's like probably got pushed to the back of some Apple executive's plate. <laughs> you know, to be honest, yeah. like that's, it's like whatever. Well, they'll get to it eventually, but they will 100% get to it. Probably, I mean, we're not, we're four years from the 10 year anniversary. Probably it'll happen then. It's so long. It is long, but by that point, will we even care? Yeah. Uh, maybe it will be fa- sooner than that. It should be sooner because it is actually like Chance's best work and it is like pretty important. But. People should have access to it on streaming platforms. Yeah. Um, okay, let's, let's go out to Paranoia. Paranoia by Chance the Rapper it's from his, Acid Rap. His best song. I've been riding around with my blood on my lips, with the sun in my eyes and my gun on my hip. Paranoia on my mind, got my mind on the fritz. But a lot of niggas dying, so my nine with the shit. I've been riding around with my blood on my lips, with the sun in my eyes and my gun on my hip. Paranoia on my mind, got my mind on the fritz. But a lot of niggas dying, so my nine with the shit. So yeah, that was uh, another another episode of Catch Up. Yeah, so that that uh, yeah, get get into these, get into some of these mixtapes if you'd like. Yeah, um, and you should also, if you haven't, your new listener, get into some of our classic episodes. That's right. So I'll just I'll just mention a few ones that I've heard from feedback from our listeners are their favorites. Uh, episode four, which is a guide to the Drake and Pusha T beef, is probably our most beloved episode. I yeah, would say. I think so. Because um, we really kind of get down into the nitty gritty of how the whole Drake and Pusha T thing started, mm-hmm. and it goes all the way back to 2007, and an issue over a bape jacket. Yeah, that's as right. all the great beefs <laughs> were so, spawned. Yeah. Um, what else? What else? What else are some highlights? Well, um, I think our our episode about Little Wayne, as we mentioned earlier, is a is a real nice episode 16, the life and times. With Dwayne Michael Carter. So I think you should dig into that. 
Um, I like our Metro Booming episode. That's a personal favorite. That's of mine. right. This is another like highly complimented episode from us, the Metro Booming episode, which is episode twenty. Yeah. So yeah, we'll get you started with those three. How about you guys like, go dig into that? Let us know what you think. Yeah, please do. And uh, you know, thank you for continuing to support us for all our day one listeners and welcome to all our new friends and we hope you stay with us in the coming weeks that's right and if you're in toronto Mm -hmm. and you're listening to this the week in which it drops we have some film events going on Mm -hmm. this week uh on wednesday night Mm -hmm. we'll be at the artscape daniel spectrum where we're showing fruitvale station starring michael b jordan and we're hosting a little talk back discussion at the end of it Mm mm-hmm and then on Thursday, we were at the Bell Tiff Lightbox showing Spike Lee's He Got Game. One of my favorite movies of all time. Wow. One of James' favorite movies. I've seen a lot of movies. James has watched more movies than is responsible for an adult. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, that's one reason I uh, don't get out much. So. Yeah. Um, but yeah, come by. Come see us. Come, come watch some film with us and mm-hmm. uh, chat. Um, and follow us on Instagram. It's at catchuppodcast. As always, uh, I'd like to thank our producer, Kyle, for all the work he puts into this great podcast of ours. He, he, we couldn't do it without him. It would not exist without him. And uh, holler at him if you're looking at getting something of similar quality as this podcast, because he's the man and uh, has a little bit more time on his schedule right now for for podcasts. If you're, get in there before it gets filled. Yeah. It's, you're going to listen to this in six months and be like, should have should have done it because he's gonna you know this is a this is a, a rare opportunity to collaborate with a great so reach out all right thanks for listening and we'll see you next week peace peace